Hi, this is Don Eubanks, and this is Counter Stories, a podcast by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. I'm Don Eubanks, associate of Dendros Group and member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians. I'm Holly Lee, owner of the Other Media Group and producer of Counter Stories. I'm Anthony Galloway, senior partner at Dendros Group and pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota. And today, uh, Luz Marie Freyas, she won't be able to join us today, but I'm extremely excited that we have two guests uh, that will be joining us today. And I, I'd like them to uh, introduce themselves and uh, tell you a little bit about who they are. So, Thanks, Donald. Uh, if it's okay, I'm going to start by introducing myself in my language. How and what I said there simply was, hello, my relatives. I greet you all with a good heart and a handshake. My name is Wayne Ducheneau. I am the executive director of the Native Governance Center, and we're a nonprofit organization that serves the 23 Native nations that share geography with North Dakota, South Dakota, and Minnesota Makoche, more commonly known as Minnesota, uh, providing our services to tribal nations to help them grow their capacity to exercise sovereignty. I'm a citizen of the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe in North Central South Dakota, where I currently live, reside, and work from. I think most importantly in my life, though, I am husband to Megan, father to Veda, Aiden, Alexander, and Regina. Thank you all for having me. Nupaming is where I'm from on the Leech Lake Indian Reservation in northern Minnesota. My name is Sally Finday. My Ojibwe name is Ashikawebik, and that means uh, one who sits alone, or it's also uh, got another meaning that means one who crosses over. So um, it, it depends, I suppose, on how what I'm feeling like on that day. <laughs> but anyway, and my clan is on my mother's side is the bear, and on my father's side is the Ogishkamanasi, which is the uh, Kingfisher clan. So I, I'm here in Leech Lake, um, and I do work right now with the Minnesota Chippewa Tribe Constitution Reform, which is a group of people who are reforming the constitution of the Minnesota Chippewa Tribe, which is an organization that represents six tribal nations in Minnesota, the um, White Earth Nation, the Leech Lake Nation, Boys Fort Nation, Grand Portage Nation, Fond du Lac Nation, and Mille Lacs Nations. These are all Ojibwe um, people living in different regions in Minnesota. So I like to refer to myself as Sally Finde from the Leech Lake Ojibwe region. Nice. So welcome Wayne and, and welcome Sally. And, and uh, so to um, kick off today's show, I, I'm going to share a little story that I've shared a couple of previous times on Counter Stories. Um, I also shared this story in the classroom. I used to, I just uh, recently retired from Metropolitan State where I was an associate professor in, in social work. And um, I taught a comparative racial and ethnic analysis class while I was there. And I would share this story with the students how one day I went to bed and when I woke up the next morning, I was more Indian. Now, let me explain that. I had received a letter from the Bureau of Indian Affairs. They had went back and they had looked at my great-great-grandfather's blood quantum, which was incorrectly written down in the tribal roles. 
And hopefully as we talk today, there might be an explanation of what those tribal roles were. And while all his siblings had been written down at full-blooded, for some reason, he had been written down at seven-eighths. So um, when I went to bed that night, I was I was seven-sixteenths Minnesota Ojibwe, one-sixteenth shy of being half. But when they corrected his blood quantum, it changed my mother's blood quantum, who was, and I forget what fraction she was, but she ended up being full. I ended up being half. Now, so, you know, I woke up, I was more Anishinaabe. But why that was was important is that I have two kids. My children at the time prior to me getting that letter were 732nds. Minnesota Chippewa, one thirty-second shy of being one-fourth. And the, and the uh, Minnesota Chippewa tribe um, requirement to join one of those six nations is that you had to be at least one-fourth in order to be enrolled. And what I'm talking about is blood quantum. You had to be one-fourth Anishinaabe of that tribe in order to be enrolled. But I think to complicate things with the Minnesota Chippewa tribe is that when they came together in 1934, not only did they kind of establish that one-fourth blood quantum rule, but they also determined that to be a member of the Minnesota Chippewa tribe, your blood had to be from one of those six tribes. Uh, let me explain that a little bit more. So theoretically, if you were a member of the Mille Lacs band or Leech Lake or any one of those six bands, and if you married someone from Red Lake, which is also in Minnesota, but not part of the Minnesota Chippewa tribe, your child theoretically could be full-blooded on a Shinabi, but only counted as one half Minnesota Chippewa tribe Ojibwe. So if they enrolled with one of those six tribes, they would only be considered 50% or one half. The other half, which was Red Lake, which is that, although that individual was full-blooded uh, Anishinaabe, was only counted as one, as, as uh, 50%. Is that correct, Sally? That's correct. In fact, um, my heritage is the same. I'm Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe and Red Lake Nation. Um, the, and my Red Lake Nation is also part, uh, French Canadian. So, uh, it, it's, it's weird when you think about it, you know, because we're the only people in the whole world who count ourselves by blood. And, and today, when I start talking about this to people to start to inform them, I inform them that this is really a racial term. It's meant to suppress us, oppress us as Indian people, it's meant to ultimately, we, we ourselves would get rid of ourselves if we kept this rule. In 1934, when the uh, Minnesota Chippewa tribe formed uh, uh, an organization to uh, deal with the federal government on behalf of six different nations. And uh, I think that, you know, just from knowing uh, history is that the, Leech, the Ojibwe people were people who were used to forming alliances. We formed an alliance. We were part of the Onondaga Nation. You know, we formed an alliance with the people in the east on the East Coast. And as we came, um, 
Western, Westerly, we formed an alliance with people, the Odawa people and the uh, Potawatomi people. So, you know, we're used to forming alliances. That's who we are. And you look at some of the history mm-hmm. of our alliances, you know why. You know, when we moved into this area, it took us 1,500 years to come from the East Coast to move into this area. And when we moved here in the 1500s, we encountered the uh, French people first, and then we encountered the uh, Dakota people that were living in this region. So a lot of people from uh, who are, are are also blended families, you know, when I talk about my um, my clan being Ogishkamanasi, that clan is the last clan that was accepted into the Ojibwe nation and it was due to a marriage between a Dakota and an Ojibwe. My heritage is also Dakota. But do they claim that? That's not anywhere, that's not anywhere on any document that recognizes blood. You know, so when I talk about blood quantum, I tell people it's a racist term. And today, as Ojibwe people, as Anishinaabe people, we shouldn't even be saying that word. It's a dirty bad word. We should, you know, I've got people calling it BQ because it's such a bad word. Let's call it the BQ. It's a bad word. So what we need to uh, do at, at, at this point, and which is coming to fruition this year, we're going to have the very first non-binding referendum asking the citizen membership of the Minnesota Chippewa tribe to identify who they want to get rid of the BQ. So hopefully that'll that'll happen. People will be much in favor and we'll uh, go ahead and do the next step, which will be a secretarial election. You guys throwing out all these fractions at me. I'm like, <laughs> my, my brain is not made for math. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And it, it's, it's so, con- it's like so confusing for me to, and I, you know, and Don sent us an article and I read it and I felt like, okay, I think I have a, a good grasp for this conversation. Plus just talking to my indigenous friends, you know, and I was like, okay. And now I'm like, okay, this is so much more confusing than the way that we talk about it, you know, amongst ourselves. I remember in high school, um, I have a friend, um, and she looks like the whitest girl in the world, blonde hair, blue eyes. But in high school, we had this like indigenous or Indian student, um, group where they pulled out indigenous students and like once a month and they went to, you know, learn, do something. A lot of times my friend was always telling me a lot of times it was about alcohol, and like trying to get them to not drink alcohol, you know, that kind of stuff. But everybody was always surprised that my one friend Erica was always pulled out because, you know, everyone was like, you don't look indigenous at all. Um, and she was just like, oh, I, you know, I have indigenous blood in me. And so, I mean, is that what blood quantum is also used for? Like to in these state services or these programs that, you know, are offered to students, that kind of stuff? I think if I, I'll jump in here. Um it's one of those things like, right, so blood quantum is definitely a white settler construct. It is something that is completely non-Indigenous. Like, I can't think of a more non-Indigenous thing than the, than BQ. I'm going to try to say BQ for you today, tonight, Sally. Um, you know, when you think about how exactly to Sally's point of story about her heritage and the Don's, I'm going to relate a quick story, too, that will kind of blend everything together and hopefully get to my point eventually. But my my family has a similar thing to you, Don. Uh, my dad had ten full siblings and a couple half siblings. Um, of his full siblings, half of them, uh, my 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 grandpa, 
on our tribal mm. rules was listed as half Lakota. My grandmother was listed as half Lakota. Somewhere down the line, some of the kids in the family got listed as 516th. So where the fraction messed up, right, is somewhere um, someone thought one of my grandparents was a quarter native instead of a half native, right? So 1 16th plus 8 16th times 2 divided, all that stuff. Um, and so, you know, some of the siblings, uh, my aunts and uncles and my dad had to go back to petition the BIA, go back to that original census role for Cheyenne River when we adopted our constitution in, in 35 and show them like, look, my mom's half, my dad's half, we should be half, right? And I think another thing to keep in mind, Hui, is that um, all tribes are different on this, right? So MCT has a quarter blood quantum. My tribe, the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe in South Dakota, uh, we've always been a tribe that's been lineal descent, right? And so all we've ever had to do is pr prove that you were um, born to either a resident member. So in our constitution, if you're born to a resident member of the reservation, you're automatically made a citizen of our nation. If you're born to a resident or a member of our nation, a citizen of our tribe off the reservation, then the tribal council has the authority to enroll you, right? And so we have in our tribe people that are four-fourths, uh, full-blooded Indians, as it were, down to when I spent time on our tribal council, we would enroll people that were 164th, 1 128th, one other fraction, right? But they had connection to home. Oftentimes they spoke language. They went to ceremony. They went to cult. They uh, understood culture. All those other things that make us uh, indigenous people, they were connected to, right? And so we, we at Shine River, we have this thing that's a little bit different. And I think um, that's one of the things, the, one of the most fundamental things a native nation can do is prescribe who your citizens are, right? And so traditionally, before the adoption of the IRA constitution, we had very strong kinship relationships. So like Sally said, her clan, I didn't know that. That's really a cool little bit of piece about your clan, that it, it has the Dakota Ojibwe uh, melding because, you know, that was the very much the case. If I, as a Lakota uh, male, uh, married someone from outside the Lakota people, my wife would oftentimes, depending on certain structures, and, and this is Lakota, but all I think all of our indigenous people had different customs in result of marriage, right? Um, they would come and be a part of my Tioshpai, right? So if I married a Cheyenne woman or an Ojibwe woman, they would come and live and be Lakota. In some other societies where it was matrilineal or matriarchal, like you would go where the, where the woman's uh, people were from, right? And so this concept of fractionating ourselves and not you know not understanding um where we come from is something that is definitely uh an affect of colonization. Wayne, when you say BIA and IRA, can you just clarify what that means? No problem. So the BIA is the Bureau of Indian Affairs. That is the federal agency charged with frontline uh the frontline work in upholding the federal government's trust responsibility to Indian country, right? So that is our I like to joke with my friends that work at the BIA, right, is you're you're not a federal government uh, agency. You're a program that's supposed to serve our people, right? So that's that's their role. And the IRA is the Indian Reorganization Act, sometimes, uh, sometimes uh, also known as the Indian New Deal. It was a piece of federal legislation passed in, 19, in the 1930s uh, under some of the other New Deal Act type of stuff that was going on that uh, prescribed how the relationships with native nations and the federal government would be moving forward, right? And so uh, what you oftentimes see, MCT has one, Cheyenne River has some, has one, is uh, these boilerplate constitutions 
were presented to tribes. Some tribes worked with them a little bit, tried to change. Some just adopted this straight language. But really what the Indian Reorganization Act was, was the federal government's attempt to make a simpler way to deal with the diversity that is amongst Native peoples. And uh, I mean, that's probably putting it in the kindest light I can. There's some other more stronger words I would use, I think, uh, but I don't want to get us censored on the radio. You know, and so, so, um, and, you know, and there's even history behind that uh, Indian Reorganization Act, you know, and that came about as a result of the Merriam Report. And I don't want to get into that whole thing, but, you know, during the uh, um, Roosevelt's administration, but there actually was a report where they went out and they looked at the living conditions on the reservations throughout the United States. And if you think they're bad now, they're even worse back then in the 20s, right? We're going through the depression, going through all that. And so it was dismal on Indian reservations. People were dying of diseases, polio, lack of food, water, shelter, the whole nine yards. So this was an attempt, but I totally agree with you, Wayne, where you know, it, it was a federal government's way of trying to reorganize tribal governments because the way they did it had nothing to do with traditionally how we governed ourselves because we were governing ourselves already. We'd always been sovereign. We'd always been governing ourselves. But the Indian Reorganization Act put a, put a mechanism in place that was foreign to us. And that's where many of the tribes end up with the tribal chair district representatives in one kind of uh, government body that in and of itself is a very ineffective way to try to govern uh, a nation. But I don't want to, you know, die, get all divested in that. It's the idea, however, that when you do that and then you couple that with blood quantum or BQ as Sally uh, would like us to say, and I and I'll start saying that because because it is a result of a white settler colonialism, you know, and and um, but it, it's it's such an important topic in Indian country because it impacts all of us. So you know, in my story, my son and daughter are now enrolled, but with the current BQ that's in place with the Minnesota Chippewa tribe, if they don't, I mean, if they don't marry or procreate with someone who's from one of those six tribes, our lineage ends with my children, right? And so, I mean, and that's, you know, that's a reality that that uh, my branch of the family, you know, we've had that discussion, but that discussion is happening across Indian country nationwide. Let somebody try to tell me let right. them MF right. try to tell me exactly right. <laughs> that I ain't black. <laughs> you gonna catch hands? Uh, I just I'm 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 boggled by that. Um, and yet again, we see the violence meted out on our indigenous brothers and sisters. Um, you know, through something that's not even of our own making, and now we're stuck with this word uh, or this 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 concept that that was given ascribed outside of us. Here here we go again with the um, with the uh, who was the Supreme Court justice? Um, um, Marshall. Marshall, again, trying to attack and erode our policy, trying to attack and erode sovereignty. Sally, there's two questions on the referendum, yes. isn't there? Yes. So the two questions that are coming to the people in June, 
will be, number one, should the B blood quantum requirement be removed from the membership requirements of the Minnesota Chippewa tribe? Number two, should the six-member reservations bands of the M Minnesota Chippewa tribe be authorized to determine their own membership requirements by band ordinance? Now, uh, when we talk about blood quantum, as I put together a Facebook page, now some of the people that are asking questions have no idea how bad blood quantum is for us. They don't even know that it's a bad word. They don't think anything about it because that's the kind, that's the kind of, of uh, generational education that's been instilled in people. So some people don't even think it's a bad, it's bad. They think, well, you know, maybe we don't want all the people to be recognized because we don't have that many resources. Not understanding that it's not about resources. It's about we're putting the end to our people as, as, as we, as we move along. So another um, uh, example of that is I, I asked for uh you know, I know there are about 40,000 citizens. That's women, men, children, everybody. 40,000 members of the Minnesota Chippewa tribe. So what I asked about, how many of those people do we actually have to send a ballot to? How many are adults right now? 34,000 are adults. So that means that there's only 6,000 children right now. That's horrific. I was thinking maybe it was 2020, you know, 20,000 adults, 20,000 children, but no, this BQ is moving faster than, than anything. And not only that, but there are different tribes like um, Mille Lacs, who has a who has a moratorium on, on accepting um, new members. Um, and so does Fond du Lac. They have, they've stopped just accepting everyone. Leech Lake, we don't have a lot of money, so we're not really worried about, you know, uh, spreading them having to, you know, uh, worry about the money going to people. We don't, we're a, we're a tribe of 10,000 members and we have many of our families are already uh, losing their status, their of citizenship because of the BQ. So we really need to work fast here at Leech Lake in order to carry this forward. In fact, you know, my own grandchildren aren't eligible today. That's really sad because once you're a, a Native American, and you're taught to be Native American, then you're, and you don't look Native American, then your identity, you get this identity issue. And I think a lot of people can can relate to that identi identity issue that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an Ojibwe person, but I don't look Ojibwe, but yet I know all this stuff about Ojibwe because I've been an Indian ed my whole entire, you know, educational system teaches me about Indians. And then my grandmother and, and my parents teach me about Ojibwe things. So those are the kinds of things that my family is experiencing today. And I think that if we don't do this now, we're in some serious trouble. Us as Indigenous people, Native people, whatever we would want to call ourselves to really come into that, uh, come into a new train of thought around this issue, right? So um, I years ago, five, six years ago, attended this conference called Who Belongs? It was on citizenship and enrollment at the University of Arizona Law School. And there was a, a Canadian First Nations uh, associate professor from Ryerson University named Pamela Palmater. She's Mi'kmaq Eel, Eel River Bar First Nation. Um, and it was, she said it, and this is the first time I ever thought of it in this context. Uh, BQ, blood quantum, is an extinction level event for native peoples, yep. right? So it's literally can bring about the end of our peoples if we don't figure out how to 
get around it, navigate it, move it around, right? And so we at Native Governance Center actually had the good fortune of when the MCT started down this path of constitution reform, we helped with our partners from the Native Nations Institute do some uh, constitutional education sessions. And I can remember one of the things that most struck me in that process was when during the opening presentation, when the MCT attorney was running through the constitution and the interpretations, um, he put up the census, the enrollment numbers, and they broke it down by age groups. And there are a couple bands in the MCT. I hope I'm not um, sharing out of pocket here or any proprietary information though, but to Sally's point exactly, like their zero to 18 populations were minuscule. Wow. Right. And so we're talking, um, I know there's another uh, Canadian First Nation who they're, they're trying to scramble around this because they have folks on both sides, but they have some uh, population projections in, from this Canadian First Nation that if they don't solve this problem by 2025, they will have no more uh, eligible people to enroll. And by 2185, they will cease to exist as a people. This is extinction level stuff. And that's, you know, that's why it was put in place. I mean, it was put in place. Blood quantum was put in place so that eventually, you know, the one thing we uh, the one thing we did learn, unfortunately, in school is that the United States always felt that they were dealing with the Indian problem. Correct. And so if there's no longer any Indians, there's no longer a problem. So you put blood quantum in place. And we procreate ourselves out of existence. We no longer exist. They've tried through boarding schools. They've tried through other means. And this is a finality if tribes don't address it. You're listening to Counter Stories. I'm Don Eubanks with co-hosts Anthony Galloway and Hilly Lee. And special guests Wayne Ducheneau and Sally Finday. This show is supported by Ampers and the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. For our full conversation, please visit counterstories.com. That's why important. We, that's why it's so important we not only talk amongst this in our own houses as Native peoples, but that we start to inform our, our friends and relatives um, from the other peoples of this world about these issues. Because you didn't learn this stuff in school, right? I'm not yeah, sure where you exactly. grew up and went to school, but... I went to a school called Cherokee Heights, and we learned nothing <laughs> of any of this. Isn't that ironic? And that's the thing is, this isn't taught. No one knows this. And so, no, it's it's a fair question in, to ask. So, you know, when I went to school in the 60s, I remember getting kicked out of class because I told them, you know, we didn't come over the Bering Strait, um, that we have a, a story about how we became here. And also, uh, we were taught that Indians gave away Manhattan Island for beads. And I'm like, that's outrageous. How silly those Indians were back then. And then to learn today that the Indian people in 1934, if they did not accept the blood quantum, they weren't going to be Indians, period. We weren't going to, that was the end of us there. So they had to accept blood quantum, just like the Indians had to accept beads or, or probably it was beads or death at that point. So, you know, I think that, you know, when we talk about educating ourselves today, we have to remember that the things that we learn in the, in the, whitewashed his, history classes absolutely have no bearing on on who we are as people because we're so darn smart we have succeeded in keeping ourselves alive today if i can call myself anishinaabe today uh, that means that the people before me really have succeeded 
in in coming away from uh, this this Holocaust in in the United States of killing all the Indian people. So I think that it's important for us to know that when we talk about educating our children, we got to let them know that our people weren't stupid. They were offered beads or death. What are you going to choose? And the story is going to be they wanted beads and nothing else. Right. That's the great story. In 1934, you either take this BQ or you you're not a tribe anymore. Hmm. You know, that that was it. They had no other. They didn't have a choice. Well, Sally, not only that, Wayne, who who in this country has the ability to identify and name who's Indian? Well, I'm going to split hairs with you. I think ultimately a tribal nation, a group of people gets to say who's a part of their thing. However, to your point, I think you're trying to drive home, is that if you want recognition, the recognition people are most often ascribing to or aspiring to is federal recognition from the United States government. So brass tacks, right? This, This concept of blood quantum is housed in a government official's approval process, exactly, and, and it's that's not what a I was driving of a nation to. And in and, many um, instances, but you know, Hilly. Yeah. Well, I just this. I, 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 I don't. We, we often will get into conversations like this, and 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 miss an essential piece. Not us right here, but I'm talking about, and how we talk about this for folks who are wondering um, what the continued violence and aggression looks like mm. we 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 get into this mindset that it has to be the physical violent acts this is an, a perfect example of the continued meted out violence on a person's very own being and and so when i when i try to put bans on what education you can teach and all these different things i am actually doing violence to a person's identity and I just I don't I don't mm-hmm. I don't want to split hairs there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like right. this this is what that is. And 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 as we talk about this, like there's in in some of the the in the article um, that you sent over, Don. You know, in addition to to kind of identifying that blood quantum is something that comes from outside of a community, there's that question that says why should non-native folks care about blood quantum? And unfortunately, it goes along the lines of moral and ethical reasons, right? But people shug that off all day, right? Or deny that or ignore that all day. And so it, it, when we talk about the dependent sovereignty, you know, I think we need to rise to the level of calling it what it is. If the federal government is is involved and inculcated in BQ um, and issues around that and whether or not somebody's going to be recognized, that is an to to me, that sounds like an act of war against a sovereign nation, and we're in the middle of the Ukraine, you know, fight right now. So, so I just I, I don't want to I don't want to lose the connection to that continued violence as we talk about how serious this is. No, Anthony, that is an excellent point. It's it's um, I think it's one that doesn't get. Um, doesn't get talked about much in Indian country is that lateral damage and, and, um, or it's not, it's, it's, I don't think it's often put in those kind of terms. So, you know, I, we've, we've touched on this subject in other prior counter stories. I mean, cause I, I have a tendency to kind of bring these issues up trying to educate our, uh, the audience that listens to counter stories because it's an ongoing true battle, 
You know, um, the, the first time I was engaged on a tribal level with, and this type of discussion was the first time I was commissioner of, of health and human services for the Mille Lacs band. I worked for Marge Anderson, part of her, her, uh, her uh, administration, and we had a discussion about about uh, uh, BQ, and and uh, you know, I as commissioners with other elected officials, and it was a it was a long, dragged out discussion. My argument being the same that I'm hearing from Sally, and the same I'm hearing from Wayne, is that this thing was put in. Cl- put in place to ensure that we no longer existed. And therefore, we needed to change that in order for us to continue to exist. However, the counter-arguments um, ab- about doing that com- were, were framed around finances and and kind of gets back to the issue that you brought up, Hilly, and and we touched on a little bit in terms of the Malax band and Fond du Lac and maybe, and I'm not aware of any of other of the other six bands that are part of Minnesota Triple Tribe that have put a moratorium on, on uh, admitting members. And it all has to do with money. All right. And, and it, it, I mean, and other kind of resources kind of things, but that, but that tends to be the argument that I was hearing. And this was back in 1998, 99, when we first had this discussion. So, um, but what, what tribes, what, what those tribes, and I've talked about this, I've brought this issue up on a couple other counter stories and where I've related that, that, you know, a portion of our, of our, the, the Mille Lacs Band's reservation is right on the Minnesota-Wisconsin border, uh, the the area we call Lake Lena Ajamu, right? And it, it adjoins with the St. Croix Band. So many of our people are interrelated and, and intermarried there. I, I mean, as Anishinaabe, I can't go anywhere within the six tribes and, and probably not have to ask to make yeah. sure that we're not distantly related. Uh, that's how that's how we are, right? But what what happens is that, and and Wayne alluded to, and, and this is one of the one of the things that that is being talked about. I mean, this is the backside of this whole discussion that tribes are struggling with. Is that uh, is that um, as when gaming came about. And then depending on where your tribe was located, often determined whether or not your gaming enterprises were successful. Uh, let me explain that. So the closer you are to a major metropolitan area, the closer it is for people to visit your casinos. The further you are away from a major metropolitan area, um, the less likely your casino is going to make as much money. You're still going to make money, but not like tribes that have casinos closer to major metropolitan areas. Make sense? More people, more opportunity. As those revenues increased, and then tribes, um, again, being limited by the federal government, because the federal government determines how much money a tribe can, can, can even disperse 
wait, among wait. its own members. Wait. Right? A tribe has... What? <laughs> okay. Uh, again, a sovereign nation can now not determine its membership or or what it does inside of its own national, national, national practice in terms of its own finances? I fundamentally, to my core, believe in tribal sovereignty, right? And so my argument is we are allowed to. There, there has been a lot of legislation. There's been Supreme Court cases that have gone against that. But if, if you think about the federal government's relationship with Indian people, think of it as a pendulum, right? So uh, with first contact, the pendulum was, oh, it's all new. We're going to be friends. What? You're starving and dying in winter. We'll help take care of you, right? Then after they got strong and we sustained them through winters, then they're like, we want the Indians land, so we're going to kill them. So the pendulum swung back the other way, right? And then we went through a treaty-making process where one of the things I think it's really important to hammer home in this instance is that sovereignty is something that is inherent and recognized. It's not something that's ever been given. So oftentimes there's this misnomer out there that uh, tribe tribes, when they treated with the United States, were given sovereignty. no. The federal government recognized tribal sovereignty, right? And so the treaty-making process, the pendulum swaying back to the to the good side of things. And then the Indian Reorganization Act was on that side of things. And then we went through some stuff around the, in the 50s and 60s with termination and relocation where they were terminating tribes. They were just saying, you know what, There's you, you all are just not a tribe anymore. We're going to strip your federal recognition. And a part of the way we're going to do that is not only are we going to put your kids in boarding schools, but we're going to pick up and offer these sweet deals to relocate you to these huge metropolitan areas where there are opportunities away from the reservation, right? And it's, it's that violence you were talking about, Anthony. I hadn't thought of it in those terms, but that is exactly what it is. But after we got past termination and um, uh, relocation, we so, swung into the 70s and we had the self-determination era, right? Where the federal government understood, I think, uh, that this Indian problem wasn't probably going to go away as easily as they thought. They've, they've literally tried everything, right? They've tried war, They've tried disease. They've tried um, uh, court cases. They've legislated us, all these things. And they, they you know, in the 70s, they're like, we got to figure this out. So then the self-determination era came about. And that's where tribes really got to start controlling some of these auspices. So like right now, tribal nations, MCT is going through this. They can change blood quantum. They can change who their citizenships are. The federal government no longer holds that authority over top of us. The funding that Don's talking about is... Oftentimes, our funding that we receive as a part of the federal government's trust responsibility is based on how many people we, how many citizens we have, right? And so, one way to make sure that we don't always have to pay that full bill is we limit, we put in these systems around BQ where tribes don't want or can't enroll people the way or add citizens. And so, it's a way for the federal government to be able to, in the long term, limit things. Um, and that's that's that that pendulum goes back and forth and. Who knows? Like I would say, as the pendulum swings, we're kind of on the good side of things right now, currently in Indian country. But it doesn't take much. It takes a couple of election cycles, and that pendulum can swing violently back the other way. And so I just want to clarify that. I think um, fundamentally to my core, tribes, we do, we get to self-determine these things, regardless of the federal government says so or not. You see many tribal nations in history have brought themselves to federal recognition, right? And so they they uh, have had to go back and prove through treaty, through all these different things that the federal government had a relationship with them. And so there are ways for tribal uh, nations to gain federal recognition as well. Um, so just wanted to make sure that it that can seem a little bit like semantics, but I think it's really important from my perspective to share that 
Tribes, we can control this destiny. Sometimes we're our own worst enemies, but we control this destiny. That's a really great way of, of explaining it, Wayne. So we're at the point now where, where the tribes are having conversations about keeping up BQ within the tribes, correct? And so that's what these two referendum questions are. I'm sorry, my husband just got home and the dog's barking. <clears throat> so that's what these two uh, referendum questions are. So what, you know, I feel like what are the arguments for and against them then? Like what are the two sides to this issue right now within, within the tribes? Since like, let's ignore the federal government and all the stuff that they've done in the past, right? Now we're talking about like what, so explain to us, like what are the arguments for and against? Right. This means that the leech-like band of Ojibwe uh, really wants this to happen. You know, I have been working really hard at convincing people that we need to change this BQ because we're smarter than the average bear. You know, we're not some people who don't understand the language. We don't, you know, we have we have nothing that that's a barrier for us but ourselves at this point. We need to go ahead and make this happen. So this first question coming to the people about blood quantum and eliminating it is creating a big stir up right now. There's plenty of people, you know, who have questions about it, plenty of people who don't even care about it. But we also know that there's... Um, we have a written document that's called the Minnesota Chippewa Tribe Constitution. It's not a constitution. It doesn't talk anything about who we are. It only talks about how we can uh, transfer uh, funds to the federal government. <laughs> the RBC, Reservation Business Committee, these five people are supposed to be able to sign away our resources so that the federal government has access. And, and, and that's all it says. It doesn't say anything about the fact that we're people of this land. It doesn't say where we came from. It doesn't say that we, we have alliances. We have had alliances throughout history, our history. And, and those are the kinds of things that we need to, to talk about now when we're talking about blood quantum is we are people and we are the sovereignty. It's not the tribe. It's not the leech like band of Ojibwe, the tribe. It's each person is sovereign. And that work, the fact that we have resisted you know, for for 500 years, we are the people. We're the ones who are still here. We're the ones who have to say to the federal government that, you know, you have we have treaties with you. We gave you a lot of land. And now it's time that you just step out of our business because this is our business. And we are not going to allow ourselves to be just, we're not going to eliminate ourselves as you thought we would with this document. So we're changing it for the first time. Since I've been involved and engaged in what's going on in the tribal lands, which isn't very long compared to some people who have been working at this 30, 40 years, this is a, a, the first movement where we're actually making progress. This question coming to the people, even though it's non-binding, it's still going to tell the tribal executive committee this is the way the document reads. The tribal executive committee has authority over the tribes. It's going to tell them that we need to get rid of this blood quantum now, and we need to put in a secretarial election. And then people, we, then after that, then we've got to get 30 or 10,000 people to vote yes. And to me, that's not a lot of people. We've had another a referendum in 20 years ago or so, and it was uh, 8,000 people changed the constitution. So today, 10,000, I don't think that's a number that we, that's, it's easy. You know, everybody knows how to door knock. 
We all know how to get people to be informed. Um, it's easy. In my mind, it's easy. I've been an organizer and I still organize. So, so for question, so Sally, so for question one, if, if eligible enrollees of the Minnesota Chippewa tribe vote, vote for referendum one, which is to do away with BQ, then that means that, that, I mean, it will go back and then the elected officials from the six bands, then I'm going to assume we'll continue to discuss that. But that would be then one of the, that essentially they're hearing from individuals that this is what they would like them to do. Is that correct? Yes. Now, for question two, because question two is a totally different, unique question. And that question is asking folks to vote on whether or not each of the six bands that make up the Minnesota Triple Tribe, that each one, if, if people were to vote for question two, that would be informing the elected officials of the Minnesota Chippewa tribe from the six different bands that, that the people want them to allow each, each one of the six bands to make their own determination on what that blood quantum requirement would be, which to me, um, would be, uh, would, would, if, if it went down that road, that would make it even worse and more confusing than what it is now. Because if you had six different tribes making that determination and each one made it a different determination on how they're going to do that, and hopefully within that determination, they would eliminate that language that, that they only counted blood from the Minnesota Chippewa tribe and not any Indian blood, because theoretically you could be, I mean, you know, once they did relocation and they moved us to major urban areas and we started intermarrying with other tribes, someone could be full-blooded Indian, but one-eighth this, one-eighth that, and not be able to enroll anywhere. So question number two to me is more violence. If that question goes through, because what do you do? If if the Malax band leaves it at one fourth, someone else goes uh descendant lineal and tribes, you know, have the right to make that determination on their own, then it, uh, to me, question two makes it worse. Currently, each of the six tribes make their determinations already. They've already determined. We're not going to enroll people anymore. We're, we've got enough people. We're not going to divvy up the money anymore today. Who knows five years from now what's going to happen or 10 years down the road, you know, what's going to happen. You know, we don't, we don't know. We can't predict the future. But what we can say today is that BQ's got to go. Once that's gone, then each tribe has to determine how are, how will we? And I think at Leech Lake, we're going to go with lineal descent because we have to. We have, we have identified a point in time where we have enrolled members who um, signed on, on the dotted line and are counted in 1941 as being Leech Lake people. Um, we also have the opportunity with this, Leech Lake has the opportunity to allow other people to enroll in our tribe. We have whiter citizens here who are asking to be enrolled with Leech Lake, and they really should be because you know what? The whiter people came from Leech Lake. They came from Alax. You know, they're, they're, they weren't just, they're not just separate people. They're our people. So we should we should be allowed to 
um, recognized by heritage who come who becomes a member of the Leech Lake Band. Like for instance, if you're Anishinaabe, you're Ojibwe, then yes, you should be enrolled here. So, uh, what are the arguments to keep BQ? I mean, for me right now, it sounds like let's get rid of it. Oh my gosh, you guys just get rid of it, right? So, what? Why are? What is the argument of keeping it at this point? Then I can raise a few. I will do a qualifier. So this is Wayne taking off my NGC ED hat. Um, Explain to us what that means again. So Native Governance Center Executive Director hat, um, because it's, a, again, this is a very tough topic, right? But there have been, so in the research we did around preparing for our blood quantum event, our BQ event, um, arguments to find for keeping were almost wholly centered around this idea of resource scarcity right? That we, we're not going to have enough. We're not going to have enough. We mm-hmm. did find some tangential stories, though, mm-hmm. where certain tribes had felt if you uh, enroll folks that are disconnected from your people, right? That aren't, uh, that don't know the language, that don't know the culture, all those type of things. So that's an argument for keeping BQ is that it keeps people closer to the culture. Um, that's a loose argument. I'm I'm not making it but that's an argument. And then there was one instance where, uh, uh, at least one instance where we found where folks were enrolled in a tribe with little to no connection, were able to assume power in that tribe and then sold mm-hmm. some land, right? And this is years ago though. Mm-hmm. We are, we as a people today are way more sophisticated. And for that to happen, I think would be ultimately too complex. However, that was another argument that was found to keep is that outsiders who would be able to establish control and then do something that would harm the people, right? So that was an argument made to keep blood quantum as well. But again, those are the only things we could really find. Yeah. But, you know, when you think about what it really means and how ugly it is and how silly, silly it is for us as as Anishinaabe people to even consider keeping that. It's uh, once people understand how bad it is, I think it's it's just a matter of saying that's really bad. Let's get rid of that. And then mm-hmm. let's make our own decisions. You know, Don, maybe let's maybe everybody down the road will have its own. We're talking right now about every every tribe having its own constitution. That we should have our own written document that tells us how we do the things we do. We at Leech Lake, we still have the local Indian councils, which are, you know, a, the original form of government which for us is Anishinaabe. We had families living in communities and that was, they were, they were recognized when they came to the big community table to make decisions about what's going to go on. You know, that decision wasn't made by five people. That was made by Mm -hmm. the people out out in the, out in the region here. So we're, we're bringing that back. Uh, In fact, uh, we have already met a few times, a couple of times as local Indian councils. And that's just because we have such a, a we've got need for uh, fixing some of the things that our, 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 our money is going somewhere and it's not coming exactly where it needs to. Because, you know, we have a big problem with drugs and drug violence in our communities and we need to stop that. And currently the money that we're getting goes to these programs and they're not working for us. So we've devised and we've said, OK, let's take that back. We're the people. Let's tell. Let's find out how can we solve this problem, and then let's put the money where let's put that money where our mouth is. 
Let's bring that money to our community. So we have a person here. We have people on, on deck to solve the problem in our communities right now today. Do you know how long that takes for a person when they decide, oh, I'm going to, uh, today I'm going to give up on drugs? Like weeks. And then to get actually into treatment is more weeks. So it's like, let's, let's change the process for ourselves. And let's not only that, let's go back to our old form of government, which is starting with the people. That, that inspires the, 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 the hell out of me. And, and that doesn't count towards my three swears a day as a pastor. So that, that works. Um, <laughs> it, I, what I love about that is because what, what starts to make me, uh, what starts to make my, my radar go off, you know, again is, is, you know, we throw off BQ and we throw off this thing that was ascribed outside. We're so, so is, is a, uh, how we do, how we do government across the world. And we seem to be in this place of thinking that there's only one way to do this, or there's that the, that the Western, um, you know, idea of how to govern self is the only way to do things, and and we then again are are losing our ways of doing this. It reminds me so many times of of you know what colonialism does. Even you know in my 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 peoples with our African history, you know colonialism comes in and distances you from the things that you do to take care of self. And then you come back to a space where we've lost the, that, that ability and we're dependent on, on, on a, a way of taking care of self that's vastly different than it was for, for family members of mine, as I go back and look at um, those who, who are, are, are tribal members of their African nations um, in the way that used to happen, um, you know, to be dependent on trade when the land can produce what you need is something that is um, that it at one point and, and and my family member tells a story at one point where it didn't matter if you worked in the traditional Western space because you still had to retain all the skills necessary to make sure everybody ate like everybody eating wasn't an issue because we still had had access to that knowledge access to that full way of being. And then they're, you know, and then being forced into a colonial space where you now you're dependent on this particular way, this particular way of doing economy, this particular way of doing food, um, all of those types of things. And then now you're that that was the first time in many of the family stories that folks actually began to experience hunger at the levels that they that they that they did, because prior to that, your your hunger wasn't based on 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 that system. And so I'm always nervous. You know, when when we get, you know, especially in the conversation around sovereignty, where, you know, if if you get to decide who's in your nation, you get to decide your board, you get to decide all of these different things, all these things that, that we ascribe to the word sovereignty, it boggles my mind that somehow how we govern ourselves must look a certain way. So I, I get excited to hear you talk about the fact that we're revisiting some of these, these, these council ways of doing things because we know what we do know about Western government spaces. While, while the concept or theory of democracy is what it is, the practice of it usually marginalizes to the most powerful voices at the table, not the masses at the table, in the ways that Native communities had been doing for thousands of years successfully before Western intrusion. So, so I'm, I'm really excited to hear that. And that's, think about that, the insidious nature of colonization, right? The, how from contact here in the new world, uh, they have taken advantage of just about every person of color in order to get where we're at today. You think about, you know, the oldest democracy on this continent isn't the United States of America. It's the Haudenosaunee peoples, right? And there's a great meme where it's the one where the, guy's doing his work and the other guy's looking over his shoulder 
And the guy doing the work says, great law of peace. And the guy looking over the shoulder is the United States Constitution, right? So even then, this government is formed and based on indigenous wisdom. And that's another thing I think that can't go, uh, that needs to be spoken, right? And don't get me wrong, there wasn't this indigenous utopia here on this on this continent either, right? We had conflict, we had things, but those things you were talking about, hunger, poverty, homelessness, they're not as pervasive as they are today amongst our people because we took care of each other through kinship, right? And when you think about, again, that, those factors that colonization played, these are these are symptoms from a disease that has infected these peoples, our peoples. And as we as indigenous people, as we're returning to that wisdom, as we're returning to our ways of life and healing ourselves, that wisdom that is in our DNA, that is in the DNA of this land, is going to help us move forward to not only heal our communities, but I strongly believe heal the communities of the people around us. And you only need to take a look at the uh, magnifying glass that this pandemic had put on people when you saw indigenous nations giving vaccines to not only their citizens, but non-native citizens in and around their community. I know of people that have drove from the Twin Cities up to Leech Lake to get a COVID vaccine, right? It's that, that spirit that is in our people, that is in this land, that is in our people, that is going to not only heal our folks, but it's going to end up healing us all on this continent. And hopefully then the world, right? Um, th that's where I see the ultimate transformation of indigenous sovereignty leading us to is that we're going to do a lot of healing with it, not only for our people, but for everyone. And But to get there, we have to make sure we survive. We have to make sure we're here as a people. And so that's why, again, circling back to BQ, it's so important for us to tackle this issue head on. You know, Wayne, you are... So right on. I mean, you know, the Malax band did the same thing when when they when they vaccinated everyone in the tribe that wanted to be vaccinated. They opened it up to the community. I think I heard stories that many of the tribes did that. Six bands in Minnesota Triple Tribe opened those up to the surrounding community. Um, every casino that's built by tribe uh, supports the surrounding community. They employ. <laughs> you know, Malax Man employs many non-Indians. They they almost wiped out, uh, um, you know, welfare for uh, Malax County by employing all those folks. There are so many uh, today. Today's discussion was, well, I think we were just really beginning to touch. There are so many different topics in this in in this discussion about blood quantum tribal sovereignty every time someone would say something it would it, there was another whole topic area that we could talk about sally just mentioned about the minnesota chippewa tribe and you know i've been arguing for years that that um just with myself that you know the function of the minnesota chippewa tribe i question whether or not it should even still exist with tribal self-governance. It was when I was commissioner and I was part of the tribal self-governance group on the federal level that I found out from the, the federal government that that uh, the Minnesota Chippewa tribe was counted as one tribe. So when they say there are 576 federally recognized tribe, the MCT is counted as one. Now the six bands are listed underneath that. So to me, that was problematic. So, you know, I think the, you know, the, but that's another whole discussion 
in terms of whether or not the Minnesota Chippewa tribe should even exist. I think, you know, there was a time when our forefathers uh, had a great idea. They created this thing. They put it together. I think it helped them as six bands they thought would give them greater flexibility and negotiating tools with the federal government. But now, what you know, where we're at nowadays with tribal self-governance and every tribe's ability to govern and do what they want, uh, the, the you know, I often would argue that that uh, the Minnesota Chippewa tribe itself as an entity would receive funding from the federal government to provide services, but to who? Because you know, because all the six member bands were already located where the Minnesota Chippewa tribe office was at. So who were they providing services to? So, I mean, I mean, like I said, we could have, we could talk about these subjects forever, but we have to come to an end. Today's discussion on blood quantum, I thought was very enlightening, is very deep. It impacts not only the 40,000 people that are members of the Minnesota Chippewa tribe, but it impacts indigenous individuals across this nation. Um, it's something that every tribe needs to look at and deal with. We've only touched, I think, on some of the surface issues. There are so many others that are tied up into that. And we can relate all that back to the lateral damage that we have suffered since first European contact, since I remember sitting in grade school and being told that Christopher Columbus and all these other Europeans discovered us, and I couldn't think, well, how could they discover a land where there's people out where my ancestors were there greeting them with six packs and sandwiches to go, but they never left, right? This is Counter Stories. I'm Don Eubanks, associate of Dendros Group and member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians. I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group and producer of Counter Stories. I'm Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark AME Church and senior partner at Dendros Group. Wayne Ducheneau, executive director of Native Governance Center and citizen of the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe. And Sally Finde, citizen of the Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe, Anishinaabe of the uh, Leech Lake region and also a member of the Minnesota Chippewa Tribe, an organization that really is an alliance organization that really has aligned Six Nations. And I think it's important that we don't rid ourselves of our alliances. In fact, we should open that door and align ourselves with more tribes because that's who we are as people and that's how we grow in strength. Miigwech. This has been Counter Stories, a co-production of the Counter Stories crew, the other media group, and Ampers, Diverse radio for Minnesota's communities. What support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund? For our full conversation, please visit counterstories.com. <laughs>